Where are you right now? You're with Andy and Opie, walking along that dusty road, fishing poles in a hand, talking. What are they talking about? Well, we can't hear because that guy won't stop whistling. <laughs> but clearly, Opie is at that 5W age. Who, what, when, where, why, Dad? Why is the sky blue? Where did I come from? That's always a good one. Well, God made you. Yeah, but how? Okay. Who? Who do you love most, me or mom? When? When will I be as big and strong as you? Okay, my kids never asked me that one. (laughs) But children ask these questions because they are trying to make sense of the world that they see around them. They're trying to figure out where they fit in and what one thing has to do with another and how what they see around them is relevant to them. And we never outgrow that, you know, as we continue to age. We want to know why it is we do what we do. You know, what is the relevance of it before we do it? People don't perceive that Christianity is relevant and therefore Christ to be relevant to their lives. Barna did a recent study, Barna did a recent study, and discovered 61% of 20-somethings, and that's a lot of you all in this room, 61% of 20-somethings who had been churched as teens are now spiritually disengaged from church, Bible study, and prayer. How are they shown the relevance of God and the Word of God to, to their life? What stories did they hear about the power of Christ to impact and, encha- and change life right now? Here's a true story. I was at our annual denominational meeting a few years ago with a pastor friend of mine, and we were milling around, and we ran into one of his friends. So my friend asked his pastor friend you know, about life, how are your kids? His friend got a sad look on his face, and he said, well, neither one of them are walking with the Lord. And then I'll never forget what he said next. He said, and I don't understand it, because I sent them to Christian school, And I made them memorize the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it wasn't a joke. He was for real. I'm not judging this man's parenting or his love for his children. I'm sure he he loved them. It just makes me wonder what he thinks makes Christ relevant to someone's life. And I wondered how often his children heard stories of the power and the work of God that was happening right then, right there. You know, if we have no stories to tell, if you and I have no stories to tell of the Lord's relevance to our own lives, why should we think our children or anyone else would think the Lord is relevant to their life? You know why I don't like this picture back here? It's not because it's sinful. It's because it makes Jesus irrelevant. As long as he has the long flowing hair and the beautiful flowing robes, we will relegate him to a time in the past. What relevance does a guy who looks and dresses like that have in my life right now? The Lord is relevant. And you and I need to figure out how it is that we can demonstrate his relevance that we know is real and true in our own lives. And I hope we'll be able to do that as we come to the word of the Lord this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25. I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Moses is speaking to his 
people as they stand on the edge of the promised land. And he says this, In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask now that you would bless uh, the reading and the hearing of your word. And we pray, O Spirit of God, that you would uh, teach us this morning, open our hearts, my heart, the hearts of all of us, uh, to, to understand uh, your truth. Reveal your truth to us, Lord, and we pray that you would show us the ways that we need to change and to be more the people that you have called us to be through the power of your Spirit. So we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. These verses that we have read this morning, they describe a scene that's going to take place in the future between a father and a son. And neither the father nor the son are specific. It could be any father or any son universally. The scene has not happened yet, but it will happen universally because this conversation cannot be avoided. Because the conversation has to do with the relevance of God to life. And always, in all times, and in all places, there will be people who know that God is relevant. There will be people who live by faith in the Lord. There will be people who are part of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is unstoppable. Jesus says so. It's going to grow. Jesus said so. There'll be people and enemies who come against the kingdom of God, but they will not win. They will not prevail. Jesus said so. And so this conversation will take place over and over and over again. Always there will be some father, mother, sister, brother, friend, neighbor, who lives by faith, who will be asked, what is the meaning of this right now in my life? Right now, what is the meaning of this? But let's look at the specifics of this passage that we have before us. Verse 20 begins this way. The NIV translates, in the future. The ESV says, in time to come. But literally there, the Hebrew word means tomorrow. The next day. And every time it's used, it means tomorrow. Except in this verse. And a similar verse, like it, in Exodus chapter 13. But what it does is it reminds us that the future that you and I think is so far removed from us, the future that is is so distant, is really just a series of tomorrows. And it's really interesting what you and I pack up in our future box, what we put away for the future. And sometimes God is who we pack away. He, He isn't relevant to my life right now, but in the future... You know, after I've done everything that, that I want to do, 
Then I'll pull him out and see where he fits in and if he fits in. If it turns out that he really is relevant, I'm glad he wasn't around in my present to mess up the plans and what I wanted to do. But the Lord is relevant. That's the reality of it. And so a son, on some tomorrow, asks a father this question. What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Now listen, why does the son ask the father this question? He must believe that his father, like Andy Taylor, can answer this what question. My children never bothered one time to ask me a question about calculus or trigonometry because there was no indication in my life that I had any ability whatsoever to answer their question. They never observed me interacting with either of those in any way, but that's what I have y'all for. Because on more than one occasion, members from this church have sat at my dining room table and answered questions from my children that I could never answer. I hated to abdicate that responsibility. I hated to pass that privilege on to someone else, but what else could I do? So, what are your children asking you about? And what aren't they asking you about? See, the way we live our lives, what we do, it it draws questions from people about what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. And when they ask those questions of you and me, we get to give the answer. Let me tell you something that you're already doing as an encouragement to you that's having a great impact. And here's what you all are doing. We're doing it together. We are taking the Lord's Supper. And as we do that, our children are watching. And almost without exception, every child who has come to the elders of the church to give their testimony of faith, to say that they believe in Jesus, they have come because they have seen you coming forward to get that little piece of bread and that little cup. And they've seen us together eat the bread and drink the cup. Only they weren't given the bread and the cup. And so they asked mom and dad, what are you doing? What's this about? Why can't I have any? And there's an opportunity in that moment, time and time again, for parents to tell their children the stories of Jesus. To tell their children about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for sin, for their sin. They get to tell their children about the love of Jesus. That's why he did it. And they get to hear their children say, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus too. And another one comes to faith. And it's a beautiful thing. What are your children asking you about? What are other people asking about your life? Whatever it is, they believe it's something important to you. Something that you believe. Something you enjoy. Something they perceive you to be excited about or or passionate about. Something they believe you could help them with. If only they were to ask you. That thought is convicting, isn't it? What we do with our lives and our, our words. In this case, the son asks. Because he's observed his father's life of faith and obedience to God. And since the son refers to God in this passage as our God, that father must have faithfully passed on to his son, his identity as a member of the covenant family of God. And so perhaps his son may ask, you know, why why do we worship only one God? Everyone else around us worships many gods. 
Why do we worship a God that, that we can't see? Everyone else around us bows down before images of gold or wood or stone. Why don't we do that? What does it mean that we never work on the Sabbath? And why don't our servants serve us on the Sabbath? Why does everyone outside our community of faith live so differently than we do? The Son wants to know what? The Son wants to know why? What does this mean for my life right now? Why should I live this way? Well, now look in verse 21. Because verse 21 begins the answer that God puts in the mouth of this unidentified future father of faith. And God says, tell your son first this. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. That's our past. And everybody has a past. And everybody's past is is relevant because our past is always with us. And our past has played a significant part in who we are right now. And so the father reminds the son about their past. They were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And that's not a great past. It was a bitter past for them. It was full of pain. It was full of suffering, full of hardship, full of abuse. That was their past. But keep reading. Verse 21. But the Lord. But the Lord. I'm telling you. This is one of my favorite phrases. Whenever I encounter it in the word of God, but the Lord. What would I be? What would you be? What would our lives look like if but the Lord were not a reality? If he had not intervened on our behalf? What would our reality be? You know, I think all of us would be a lot more grateful people. I think we would all be a lot more worshipful people. I think we would all be more humble people if we would stop and count all of the but the Lord instances in our life. This is what I deserved, but the Lord. This is what should have been true for me, but the Lord. This is where I would be, but the Lord. And it should remind us, should we begin to believe that the Lord is not relevant to our lives, That he really is. He really is. But the Lord. And so the father tells the son, we were slaves, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, one day the Lord appeared, but the Lord. Right in the middle of their past, right in the middle of their suffering and their pain and their hardship, and he made himself known to these people. And he delivered them with a mighty hand out of their slavery. And if you interviewed one of the Israelites of that day, and ask them, is the Lord relevant in your life? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Yes, the Lord is relevant. How is the Lord relevant to your life? Because I have personally experienced His presence and His power. Because of the Lord, I am free. And so, Father, when your son asks, what's the meaning of this? You say, this means that the Lord is present with His people in the present to free them from their present. And that's good news for you and for me, for everyone right now. Because Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So I'll ask you, and this is not a joke, if you are sinless, please raise your hand. Okay, so that is all of us. Jesus says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and slaves need to be set free. 
Paul writes Romans 7.14, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And so Christ's power to deliver and set us free from slavery is relevant to every person living right now. Right? He's relevant right here, right now. Now look in verse 22. Because the answer that the Father is to give continues. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. See, part of the relevance of God, part of what he means for your life and mine, is that God is God over all people. There is no nation, there is no individual outside the sovereign rule and reign of God he rules over all. And so for the people of Israel, there was freedom by the mighty hand of God. But for the Pharaoh and the Egyptians that would not in faith believe, for those who rejected God, there was judgment. And so the father could say to the son, what this means is for us to follow these stipulations and decrees and laws is that we have faith. We don't reject the Lord who delivered us. We put our faith in him. And those, son, are the choices before you right now. Faith or judgment. And the same is true for us right now. And for everyone who is alive right now. You know, we no longer define God's sovereign rule geographically or nationally or ethnically. For instance, Yahweh is the God of the Israelites, but Dagon, he's the the God of the Philistines. We tend to define God's sovereign rule by belief. Well, you believe in God, and that's okay, so he can reign and rule over your life, but I don't believe in God, and so he has no rule or reign over my life. Wrong? He's sovereign over all. His sovereignty and rule encompasses all people of all time, and for all people of all time, there must be belief or there will be judgment. For all people of all time, universally. There must be belief or there will be judgment. That's the reality of having a relevant God. Now look in verse 23. The answer that God gives, the Father to give His Son continues, He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that He promised on oath to our forefathers. He brought us out to bring us in. God brought us out to bring us in. That's the answer to what's the meaning of this. It means that we have a purpose. God brought us out to bring us in. He delivered us from slavery and bondage to bring us into this amazingly abundant land, the land that he promised our forefathers that he would give to us. God promised Abraham. He told him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land. Go to the land, I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. See, this is God's promise to us, and His purpose for us. The Father tells the Son. We have a purpose beyond ourselves. We have a purpose beyond our own satisfaction, beyond our own enjoyment of life in this beautiful, lush, abundant land. Through us, God, 
that we know is with us. He, right now, through us, is at work to bless the world. And how easy it would be for that father in that moment to turn to his son and ask him, what part, son, will you play in this ongoing purpose of God? The father's answer continues. Verse 24, look there. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Why these laws and stipulations and decrees? They're evidence of God's love for and care for us right now. Son, the Lord could have left us in the dark. We could be floundering around trying to figure it out, trying to find meaning in life, wandering as we did in the desert, searching, trying to figure out how to live our lives so that we have strong and healthy bodies, trying to live our lives in some way that we have some measure of success and peace and joy and purpose. But on our own, it would have been hit and miss, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, only we didn't know what the puzzle looked like. Son, we could have been slashing ourselves and cutting ourselves with swords and spears like the the nations around us, crying out to a non-existent God. Son, we could have been tossing, I could have been tossing you into the fire to be a sacrifice like the nations around us to try to please and appease and get some small blessing from a non-existent God. But God, our God, took away that struggle and all the uncertainty because he cares for us. He didn't want us to wander and and doubt. He wants us to live and to prosper. And so he revealed his word to us. And in his word, these laws and rules and stipulations, he tells us how to live. And when we live this way, we prosper and we have life. If you live in this way, in obedience to these stipulations and decrees and laws, you will have life and you will prosper. If those who come after you live in this way, they will have life and they will prosper. And now look in verse 25. For the last part of the Father's answer to the Son. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as He has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. What do these laws, decrees and stipulations mean? They mean this. We can be right with God, the God of the universe. We can be right with Him. I want to talk hopefully more about righteousness next week. But that's what it means. It's actually possible to be in a right relationship with the God of the universe. And so that's the answer that the Father is to give to His Son. What's the meaning of this? And that answer forms a story. And the story demonstrates that God is always relevant because God is always near and God is always at work. And so where is your story? Where is your story? David writes in Psalm 3411, Come, my children, come. Come, my children. Listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And he wrote that 
psalm after he himself had experienced the deliverance of the word the lord it's a great story because david was running away in fear for his life and he was incognito and he and he, and he went into enemy territory only they recognized who he was and they threw him in jail and to try to get out of jail he foamed at the mouth and he pretended to be insane it's a great story you need to read it sometime but the lord delivered him and so he gathered people around him called them come let me tell you the story of the deliverance of the lord There's power in your story when your story tells the power of Christ. Where's your story? I wish I were free to tell you the stories of this congregation right now. I'm not free to do that. There are stories to be told. And they would encourage your heart. And they would cause you, if you knew them, to say, yes, God is real and he is is relevant. But what's your story? See, the outline of the story is always the same. The same as the father told the son. It's almost formulaic, like a Shakespearean sonnet. Actually, it is a formula, a formula that never changes. It's God's formula for rescue and redemption and restoration, and it never changes. Because in the story, there is bondage, and there is release from bondage. Whether that release is from sin and death, or whether that release is from fear and uncertainty in the story... There is release and deliverance from the Lord. There is the what would have been part of the story. But for the Lord and His intervention, the way the Lord has intervened in your life, there is in each story the revelation of God to a person, to you, through His Word, through some truth that you've read in His Word, through the Gospel through some very clear and evident work that God has done in your life right now. There is in the story the blessing and the life that comes from obedience to that word. And there is that part in every story of the peace and the joy from being in for the first time or maybe returning to a right relationship with the Lord because you've drifted away but now you're back. There's power in the story as your story tells the power of Christ. And that's why Scripture says that we defeat our enemy with the stories of Christ's powerful work. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him. They, Christians, overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. There's the work of Christ on the cross in the past. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. That's how our enemy is defeated. As long as no one's testifying to the relevance of the Lord in their life right now, he won't seem relevant. He'll look like that. He'll be some memorized fact from a confession written 500 years ago. And let me tell you, our enemy, who wants to prevail against us and against our church, he's got nothing to fear at all from people who do not believe or act like Jesus has any relevance in their life right now. (laughs) Nothing to fear from people like that. But, listen, when the stories start, the stories about the work and the power of the one who shed his blood on the cross, then the enemy is defeated. Because the Lord is real and he is at work right now. Do you believe that? then tell the story because those stories speak of the relevance of the Lord right now. Science, 
philosophy, chip away, chip away, chip away at the reality of God and his work. <laughs> but the stories continue. On and on and on and on. Uh, say what you will. People who've experienced them know they are real. Laugh, if you will. Attribute the stories to chance, if you will. But the story goes on. It's unstoppable. And you can't explain away the feeling, the peace that shouldn't be there, but is. The joy that you have in your heart, even when tears are streaming down your cheeks. Faithless people may say, ah, it's just a mind game that you're playing. Who cares what they think? The peace is yours. The joy is yours. And your story will elicit questions. And that's how the good news, the relevance of the Lord continues to spread. I don't know about you, but I find this short, simple passage tremendously challenging to my life. Who is asking? What are they asking? Why are they asking me? What are they not asking? Why are they not asking me? And I'm encouraged by the simplicity of it. I want to show you something. I have this really big book. And the title of this book is Puritan Exposition of Ephesians. Here it is. If you look in your pew Bible, the letter written to the Ephesians is three and one-half pages long. This is over 1,500 pages. But this is what good Presbyterians like. We just, we love it. This is what we think we've got to have. Oh my goodness, I just can't live without it. It, it, It's so important. And and you know what? We could just hibernate here. Think of how long you could hibernate in this book. (laughs) You'd never have to come out to tell anybody a story because you'd never get finished with it. This is what we like. But we hide behind it. You know what? This book is big enough to hide behind. You can't even see me. But that's what we would rather do. Hide behind this than tell our stories about a God who is real and a God who is relevant. And if this is what's required to be relevant, if we have to get through all of this before we're relevant, you know what? Most of the world's not going to be relevant. They're not going to know the relevance of God because most of the world doesn't have access to this. The story, it's simple and it's accessible to all. So tell it over and over again. This commentary is great. I love it. Books like this are greatly beneficial to me. But don't let it replace your story of the power of the gospel and the relevance of the Lord right now. That's the point of this hymn that we're getting ready to sing in just a second. I I love it. It says, I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. See, the gospel and Jesus, they're always relevant. They're never a cold fact from the distant past. It's sweeter every day. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. That's us. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Christ, and the power of the gospel, our daily reality, no, no matter how long we've lived, no matter how long we have embraced Christ, we can't get enough. We hunger for more of him. We thirst for more of him. 
And if this isn't true for you, now listen, if that's not true for you, you need to do business with the Lord. And I'm not saying or suggesting that you need to figure it out on your own, but here's what you need to do. If this is not true for you, you need to go to your father, just like the passage that we read this morning, as his son, as his daughter, and you ask your father, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this? Why, father, do I not have a story to tell? Or why, father, don't I tell my story more often? Or why, father, am I afraid to speak? What's the meaning of this? And when we ask our father, we all need to be prepared to do whatever it is that he shows us that we need to do. So that through your life and my life, through your words and my words, others may see, see, and hear, hear the old, old story. That it's fresh, that it's new, that it's for them, it's for you right now. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for how simple you have made the story for us. How simple access to you is for us. Lord, you don't require us to plow through 1,500-page commentary after 1,500-page commentary. That's not what makes you relevant. Your truth is just that deep. Lord, a world couldn't contain all the books that could be written about you and who you are and your work and your power. Yet, Lord, the story remains so simple. Of a Lord who intervenes in the life of his people, who makes things other than they would be, apart from your work, better than they would be. Because without you, Lord, there's death. Without you, Lord, there is death. Without you, Lord, there's death. But with you, Lord, there is life. We thank you for the freedom from the release that you've given us, the purpose that you've given to us, that you reveal yourself and who you are and what you want from us through your word. So pray, Lord, that we would be faithful first to look for your work in our lives. Every day, all of us, all of us should have a story. And we shouldn't have to go back 20 or 30 or 40 years to find it. Because you're relevant right now today. Help us look for those ways. And help us to show others. The 20-somethings, everyone, Lord, who abandons the faith, abandons the church, because they think there is no relevance. Lord, that's not true. And help us to demonstrate that to them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.